Hi, I'm Stuart from the 6pm congregation. This reading comes from Genesis 8, verses 1 to 19. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down, and on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark, and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Hello, my name's Anna Bishop. I'm from the 6pm congregation. Our reading today is from 2 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood, on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them in ashes and made them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. And that's the end of the reading.
Good morning, everybody. I guess you all know me, but I don't all know you. It's a wonderful thing to be here, and I look forward to the times of getting to know you. Can I say a big thanks, too, to all those that have emailed me or spoken with me and given me a wonderful welcome here. That lifts my heart, and uh, that, that makes me happy, and it uh, certainly fills me with joy to be able to work here. In, um, in these difficult times, but times where the Lord's still working in all our hearts. So thank you for the welcome. And I do hope, it's my intention to do two things uh, deliberately on top of my list, is try to get to meet each of you as best as possible. And the second thing is, is to try to get us back into church as best as possible. But uh, one of those things at least is out of our hands. It's still in the hands of the Lord. You might like to commit that to our good Lord, that the opportunity to rejoin in worship uh, is uh, soon and not a long way away. Now, I want to say a big thanks too to Ben, who gave an outstanding introduction and reflection. It's almost as if, it, as if he has looked at my notes before he wrote the introduction to this service out. I can assure you he didn't, and nor did I look at his. But it's most encouraging to see, and I hope you find this, when things come together, because that's of the Lord, isn't it? So can we bow our heads and uh, we'll, we'll pray. Thanks. Almighty Lord, uh, what a great joy it is, Father, and pleasure to be able to serve you with these saints, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your word that stood the test of time and will always stand the test of time for it's eternal. So we pray, Lord, at this time that you'll water our hearts and our lives with the truth and refreshment of your word applied by your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, that we may ever want to draw ever closer to you this day and every day. Amen. Now, change is upon all of us. The change is upon the world. The change changes is upon me. Changes are upon me. And, of course, changes are, are upon you. One of the big changes, is, changes I'm facing at the moment is speaking into a camera and doing that live. Uh, not much opportunity to say to the, to the um, cameraman, mate, let's do that one again, is there? So please forgive me. Uh, already, if I need some forgiveness for, for making mistakes, if not, uh, the Lord's been merciful to you uh, this morning. So I could not help but think to start today, to start my sermon series here, uh, it's all about change. So it seemed appropriate to look to the Bible, as always, for places in the Bible where there are change. And one of the first changes that's ever recorded in the Bible is the story of Noah. So I thought we'll begin at the beginning. And we're going to look at that this morning. We could look at it in some depth. Uh, no uh, watery pun intended. But we won't. We'll just look at this today. And next week we'll begin on John's Gospel. Now there's a man, a great man of the Lord called Oswald Chambers. And he said, I must realise that my obedience, even in the smallest detail of life, has all the omnipotent power of the grace of God behind it. So what Oswald, Oswald Chambers is saying there, it's not about who we are, but obedience in where we are put. For our good Lord chooses our times and our places that we may reach out to him, and that's in Acts 17. To each God assigns a field where we are to sow and maybe even reap, but these times and places are as finite as our breath because things will always change. 
Now, I want you to consider Noah. I'm not sure if you realize this or not, but Noah held four jobs. Or in my mind, I captured the four jobs as four seasons. Noah lived 950 years. So mathematically, you could say each season was about 250 years, couldn't you? I'm not sure that's chronologically correct, but it's mathematically correct. So what were the four jobs or seasons that Noah had? The first job, he was a builder or carpenter, or he was a shipwright, however you describe his uh, building of the ark. Now, parallel to that in 1 Peter, Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness. So while Noah was building the ark, I suspect in a desert, but not quite sure, uh, while Noah was building the ark, he was also preaching to the people around, the people of the worlds, preaching righteousness. So he had two jobs in one season at that point. But both of those jobs, both of those seasons were finite. So after he, be, after he had finished building the boat, the ark, after his carpentry had completed, after his preaching career had completed, he became a sailor. Now, I don't know uh, much about sailing, but it's just a, probably a guess, or well, it is a guess, that he didn't have too much sailing to do because the boat with the ark was already self-contained. Now, after the ark, uh, after the, the, the flood had dried up, Noah then became a man of the soil. So he started out as a builder, he'd become a preacher, he'd become a sailor, and his fourth, um, his fourth uh, season, the one that would take him home, was the season of the soil. He became a vineyard. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. Now, each role for Noah uh, filled a different time and a different place. They varied greatly. But each season completed well, ushers in the good and due next one. Noah completed the first season well in his righteousness, but he then became the builder of the ark, and then he became a preacher of righteousness. Now, it's very important in the times of seasons and seasonal changes, those overlaps of seasons that I, that I learned at school, I taught at school, uh, the Venn diagrams, that each season becomes, the first season becomes completed well, that the second season becomes uh, begun well. So then if I'm starting at a season that's new and fresh and it's been, the previous is, uh, is, has been completed well, it's a season of joy. Well, the second season shall be better than the first. We need to grasp onto this. We want the second season to be better, not worse than the first. And the way that happens is how well the first season has been conducted and then finished. So we each manage life as best we can, but then curved balls come in swinging at us. Um, many of them we want to duck, but we can't duck. We don't even see them coming and they hurt terribly. Sometimes I suspect in seasons, there are curved balls that can land harshly upon our innocent ignorance. We just couldn't see these things coming. We couldn't predict them. And there are times in life where these seasons of, uh, of pain come and we feel like an eight ball on a billiard table, not knowing that the yellow one was going to careen into the red one and bounce me, the green one, into some pocket somewhere. We just can't see these changes happening and they come into life, uh, irrespective of our abilities to resist them. Now, after a century in building the ark, and preaching repentance, 
I do wonder if Noah's 228 days of waiting for the flood to disappear and the waters to subside were his times too for recuperation and refreshment. Now, I can't say that for sure. It's sheer speculation. The Bible doesn't say it, but he did have a fair bit of time on the boat when it was just a cruise liner as they were waiting for the water to dry up. Now, God does that. God gives us seasons where we can catch our breath, particularly if in the previous season there have been a few curved balls coming at us that we didn't expect. And so in, in those slower seasons, don't lament the slowness, rejoice in them, because they can be times for recuperation and restorations. Now, slow seasons uh, appear frustrating, but they can be as much about repair and revival as they are waiting for the divinely appointed time. Now, we need to hug, hold on to that, grasp the divinely appointed time. Jesus has a divinely appointed, appointed time to return to us. But he doesn't even know when. But there is a divinely appointed time for all things under heaven. And we can't speed those things up and we can't slow them down. But we can mess them up. We'll talk about more of that in a minute too. So God's seasons cannot be hurried. They cannot be delayed. For they are the times of his perfect choice, his choice alone. Now, I can't come to the concept and the, and the nature and the teaching of seasons without thinking about Abraham who was told he was going to have a, at 75, he was told he was going to have a child. Now, both he and Sarah battled with that belief. Although in the long run, it was credited to Abraham as righteousness, I note. So what Abraham and Sarah did, they took into their own hands uh, this uh, procreation. And Ishmael was born. Now, Ishmael birth caused no end of trouble in the family and of course from Ishmael we get the Arab nation which has caused no end of trouble to the, to the Israelite brothers and so there is strife that comes into the season when we try to take control of ourselves. God's promises weren't changed. God promised to, that uh, Abraham would have a child and he did have the child but there came another child as well. A child not of promise but a child of man's will. Now that child in the long run, and we still see it today, um, made the second state worse than the first because Abram, Abraham and Sarah tried to take control of their season. They tried to rush the season and help God. God's season came. They just made it a lot more harder for themselves because they wanted to rush the season and not trust the Lord. So when seasons are changed, they are the guarantor of both movement and newness. Let me repeat that. The seasons are the guarantor of both movement. Things are changing. Things are changing here. Things are changing for me. And, of course, things are changing across the world. And things are changing for you here as well. Noah began life as a carpenter, but he ended up as a wine producer. Now, I want to say this, and this is a bit of a contradiction in the Bible to how the world thinks. There are many contradictions how the world thinks, sorry. There are many contradictions. This is a loud one to my mind. New wine is good. Noah became a wine producer and the new wine was good. His new season was better than his previous season. Now, when the Lord brings new seasons, there is to be no search or lament for yesterday. In fact, we are told, do not say that yesterday was better. 
Because when you, when the new season starts, and we're still in the overlap now, rejoice in the previous season, but don't lament what you see in the new season. Take it wholeheartedly, because the new wine is best. Now, to say yesterday was better is the voice of dissatisfaction in the God of our present and the God of our good and the God who has good, pleasing and perfect wills for us. So it's a confrontation to the God. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10 advises that it, is, that it is unwise to say old ways were better. So Noah now has to leave the ark, as indeed with, um, with Adam being instructed how to live in, in Eden. And we'll be looking at that in a few months. Um, Noah didn't have too much he had to do. He had four instructions that were fairly simple. He had to leave the ark. He had to release the animals. He had to go to work to be fruitful, not just idle, but to go to work to be fruitful. And he had to multiply and fill the earth. Now that fourth one is very important because what happened, and we'll be looking at this too over the coming months, Noah and his family were told to multiply and fill the earth, but they didn't, did they? They got to the Euphrates River and the Tigris, Euphrates, and Tigris Rivers and they founded Babylon and they built the, they built the Tower of Babel. That's the next big event that's discussed in Genesis because they liked the part of the, the, the soil that they were on so they didn't go and obey the earth and then all, all, uh, all catastrophe arises, as we know. Now, there's a little aside here too on this note about multiply and fill the earth, the fourth commandment, that, um, fourth instruction that Noah had. Tells me in Isaiah 45, 18, God did not create the earth to be empty and God's plans won't be thwarted. So the earth is full now. It's, it's getting fuller each day, isn't it? But that was from God's pre, um, pre-history, pre-recorded history instruction. We get in trouble if we don't follow our, his instructions to us. And, of course, that's what happens in Genesis 11. So getting back to Noah. Noah had lived well a long season of faithfulness before the storms came, before the rain came. His building the ark was blind faith. Now, dare I quote Bill Cosby, but he was the man that made great humour about an ark being built in a desert by Noah and people going past Noah saying, what are you doing building an ark in a desert? Either way, it was blind faith that got him to build the ark because isn't that what faith is it's blindness a step into the unseen without any visible means of support peter leaping out of that boat in the storm now what noah was doing was totally unreasonable to the eyes of his contemporary men and i suspect if it happened today it would be equally uh, unreasonable to our modern and disbelieving humanity so Next, Noah was flooded. The storms of life were all around. They were above and below him. And he floated on, inun on inundation. That's a good word to say, isn't it? He floated on inundation. An unpleasant, an unpleasant and sickening state, I would find, inundation. Now, I have not travelled by boat very often except for kayaks, and that was a long time ago. But I did do a trip across the across Bass Strait one night uh, from Launceston into Melbourne on the ferry. Now, by about 10 o'clock that night, 
<clears throat> me and my son, we were in our cabin that we had, and we were in the middle of the boat, not on either side. So I was thankful for that small mercy that God gave us. And um, I had a lot of trouble getting off to sleep with the rolling of the boat. And then when we woke up in the morning, <clears throat> the captain on the, of the ship said, what a really nice, pleasant evening it was, and we had smooth waters to sail on. I'm glad that was smooth because I'd hate the sea rough. I don't think I'm a person that's meant to be a sailor, and I don't think it would have been very pleasant being Noah sailing in all that inundation. Yet after that, Noah became recuperated and then he was released. The way a man or an organisation, because there is both me, there is Sean entering new seasons, we are here as men and women entering new seasons, whether we are a man or an organisation, the next season is well when righteousness is seeded in the previous season. And that is why Noah was chosen because only he and his family were found righteous on the face of the earth. So wickedness in one season will only ever take you to another more wicked season. And thus the second state can only become worse than the first. Now, all we can imagine about the population of the earth in Noah's day is that all died and it's all in some, uh, some spiritual repository that we can't understand. But the second state of the wicked did not become better after the flood. But the second state of Noah and his family did become better because his season, his previous season, was seeded in righteousness and lived in righteousness. Now, I've got to, I've got to just muse upon this for a minute. Wickedness flooded the earth. So God flooded the earth. His response to wickedness was more flooding. That is destructive flooding to remove wickedness from the earth. And I really have to speculate what is God doing today as the world continues to descend in wickedness but also in hardship. So at the end of the flood, Noah was restored to a fresh and new life. What he did was plant further seeds that will bear a different fruit. So Noah's second state becomes better than his first. This is, the, this is the good intent of seasonal change. It's the good intent that God has here for Courage on Anglican Church to move the church to further betterment from one righteous season to another righteous season. Not that the first season wasn't righteous, it's just God continues to improve things and the same is going to happen uh, for Linfield when Sean moves over there. God's intention is that Linfield's state will be better than their first state and state here at Karajong will also be better, if not just simply different, but the difference can come in the betterment. So remember, to God, new wine is good wine. So whatever wine is being sown here over the next year, two years, 10 years, 15 years, is new, but it's good. That's why we don't lament. So I want to honestly say to you, quite confidently, quite faithfully, the best is yet to come. And that is not disparaging the past because I believe the past was good too. But there's more good to come in God's handiwork. But there are two caveats that the Bible has on, um, on the change of seasons here. I want to read the first one to you from Genesis, Genesis 9. Then we'll explain it. 
So if you've got Genesis 9 there, you might like to just open your Bible up while I do mine. We're starting at verse 20. Now Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. This is his new task, wasn't it? His new season. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their, shoulder, their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their faces, see their father's nakedness. Now, I don't want to get into that passage too deeply, but I do want to make one point from it. When restoration comes, and restoration goes very, very well, don't get drunk on the fruit of restoration, which is what Noah did. He, his, his vineyard obviously worked well. He got drunk on its produce. As a result, sin came. Choose to be very careful how you treat the new abundance, lest you fall into sin. Now, I don't understand what the new abundance is going to be for St. Stephen's, where it will be, what will happen in the future. But beware that whatever comes that's good from the Lord and he blesses and he multiplies, don't let it lead us into sin. And maybe the first sin that could come is pride. We might look at ourselves and say, how good are we now? Or something like that. Speculation, I don't know. But please, guys, do not get drunk on the fruit of restoration. Now, the second thing's more of a warning as well. The caveat, be careful because the more abundant the blessings, the more we forget to pray. It's when we're in the times of hardships we reach up to the Lord, but in the times where we don't have the hardships, we do, in those times of blessing, it's easier to forget to pray. It's easier to forget to, be, to get down on our knees. So uh, just take that as a little, uh, little hint about how we dwell in a good new future. So through the deluges of life, God leads his righteous ones to freedom, further betterment, and then rest. There's the order. Freedom, betterment, and then rest. And as with Noah, so to us, our good future is first and always seated in righteousness. Genesis 6, 9, Genesis 7, 1, that's why Noah was chosen. New seasons do not arrive from the strength of our arms, but the strength of our needs and the strength of our Lord's faithfulness. Remember, he promises us from Hebrews, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So can I wrap this up now, this, this uh, first message to you guys? So while we wait in prayer for seasonal change, this is what we can diligently and prayerfully do. Now, I quoted from Oswald Chambers at the start of this uh, message. Now I want to quote from a, 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 another luminary, a guy from the 1700s called Horatius on our. We have not the filling of our places, but the fill, oh, sorry, excuse me, do that again. We have not the placing of ourselves, but the filling of our places. That's how we live this season now of overlap until the new season comes. We have not the placing of ourselves, but the filling of our places. We keep up what we're doing in the diligence and faithfulness we had when Sean was here and in the season it is not because god has placed us here according to his good perfect and uh, pleasing will and i'd like to encourage each of us to grow in devotion during this season 
grow in devotion that you then too may grow in your service. Remember Mary and Martha. Martha's off cooking the baked dinner and uh, berating Mary for not helping her cook the baked dinner. But Jesus there says to Mary, who's sitting at his feet, at his feet she has done what is best. Only one was commended for sitting at the Lord's feet. As this new season begins and the future, will, while sure we don't know what, what, what the future holds, but we know it's sure, as this new season begins and the future, while sure, remains unclear, enter it upon your knees that the second season is even better than the first. Let me bow our heads. Our Lord, we thank you, Father, that your word has got all our bases covered. We pray, Lord, too, that as we've now, we all seek to be people of righteousness, Lord, as we walk through this season of overlap. But not only that, Lord, we pray that our devotion and love for you, you will multiply, Father, in the times of quietness, that the times of busyness are lived in righteousness alone. I ask this blessing, Father, upon these faithful friends that I know and I don't know, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.